0: Here at KPFT 90.1 FM Houston, we are going to have a marvelous show for you guys today. I am going to introduce, or I'm going to have her say hello first, Dr. Uh, Tomaskovic. Kovic. I said it right. I said <laughs> it right. And then we are going to get into the banking, that problem at Silicon Valley, and then she'll have the rest of the show. Welcome to Politics Done Right, Mademoiselle Stefania how are you doing today?
1: I'm doing great today. How are you doing?
0: I am doing fine. It is great to have you on the air today. I think Houston is going to be blessed with having some great information on not only our local environment, but on climate change nationally. Thank you so kindly for being here. Oh,
1: I'm so excited to be here with you today.
0: Absolutely. So, folks, anyway, folks, folks, number 7135265738, if you have anything that you want. This episode
2: is brought to you by La Quinta by Window. Your work can take you all
0: over the place, like Texas. You've never been, but it's going to be great because you're staying at La Quinta by Wyndham. Their free bright side breakfast will give you energy for the day ahead. And after, you can unwind using their free high-speed Wi-Fi. Tonight, La Quinta. Tomorrow, you shine. Book your stay today at LQ.com. I'm going to say, but we are going to start today with the title of the show. Another big bailout. C-E-E-R. Sierra Houston director Stefania Tomaskovic on environmental justice. Seer Houston Director Stefania uh, Tomaskovich visits with politics done right to discuss environmental justice, the environment, and more. The Silicon Valley Bank bailout is proof of a bail system. And you know, some folks don't like when I say things like that. You know, they want to call me the big S and all of that good stuff. You know who I'm talking about. I know you're listening right now. But anyhow, the reality is I just believe in having a fair, equitable system for us all. We shouldn't have specials for some and others having to go through other things. Anyway, another big bailout. And it is a bailout. Even if it's the FDIC that's covering it, it's a bailout. The FDIC was designed to cover up to $250,000 in anybody's bank account. Punto y final. However... Because we have a lot of rich people in the Silicon Valley Bank with millions of dollars, they will be covered as well by the FDIC, something that originally the charter wasn't set to do except in severe extenuating circumstances. And why is that an extenuating circumstance? I guess because it's a big bank that we like to say too big to fail. If it's too big to fail, it should fail and then make made smaller, shouldn't it? Anyhow, the geniuses who run our economy, the titans of finance, do what they do best. They gamble our money. You know, the stock market, don't believe what you see on the stock market. I know folks like to believe in Ibadah and all those fancy numbers that they give you in the fancy formulas. It's all a fake from the, from these curves like the, uh, the the joker curve i called it you know all these things are not true they are just there to make people make money off of money they sneer at regulation that protect the taxpayer from their ineptitude and t- fall libertarian stance oh they're libertarian until they need a bailout they ultimately fail because our private finance sector is nothing but a deck of cards that ultimately fails and falls and then they beg for a bailout They beg for a bailout. One must remember that Silicon Valley Bank lobbied Congress to remove banks of around their size from the type of stress testing major banks must go through. Trump signed the law. Now the bank has failed after making investments that are expected of these titans of finance. We must remember that our financial sector is a gambling casino, largely devoid of intellect. You know these guys, I call them the the thugs in ties. Newsweek reported on the debacle at in. While largely unknown outside California's Silicon Valley tech corridor, SVB, has for decades been a go-to financial institution for the country's technology and health startups. One of the 20 biggest banks in the United States, it had over $200 billion in assets by the end of last year, according to CNN. As of Friday, however, SVB was left in free fall as clients began a run on the institution, spurred on by higher interest rates and other factors resulting in a spiraling chain reacting that has threatened to sink the institution and leave its customers uh, financially in financial jeopardy. In the fallout on Friday's run on the bank, some reports noted that a rollback of banking regulations by former President Donald Trump might have uh, weakened SVB's uh, ability uh, to manage risks associated with the interest rates. In 2018, according to the New York Times, Trump signed a bill that axed regulatory requirements for regional banks with less than $200 billion. Guess what? SVP had $200 billion and growing and You know they were going to stay at 249.999. Under the new rules, such institutions no longer had to submit to stress testing by the Federal Reserve and were no longer required to keep a certain amount of cash on hand to protect against the effects of financial shocks. The newspaper reported in fallout. On Friday's run on the bank, some reports noted that a rollback of banking regulations by former President Donald Trump might have weakened SVB's ability to manage risk associated with interest rates. In 2018, according to the New York Times, Trump signed a bill that acts regulatory requirements for regional banks with less than $250,000 in assets. You ever heard the word neoliberal? All the neoliberal voted for that. They got 60 votes in the Senate to get that pass, Neoliberalism kills. It hurts the average American citizen. If you want to understand the callousness and disregard of these executives, and you don't hear this on MSNBC, CBS, in the form that we talk about it here because they make it just seem place. But when you're starving, it's not place. All those people that I saw under that bridge when I was coming into uh, to, to KPFT, it's not place for them. Note that on Friday, the day of the banks collapse, the day that these guys knew they were crashing the system that they screwed up, they all got bonuses. They all got bonuses. These crooks knew their bank was in trouble. Why is anybody getting a bonus? They should at least freeze it till we find out what went wrong, right? That's what they told. They always talk to-, talk to us about, moral hazard moral hazard the government came to the rescue of millionaires and billionaires deposits but they cannot fight to rescue those fraught with ten thousand dollars of student debt that these clowns all these bankers have placed on these guys right will the middle class who are constantly ripped off by these thugs in ties continue to twist their minds in pretzels to defend these guys as they continue to sell Americans a false dream? We will cover much of this on our 3 p.m. program because right now we have somebody special in the house, which is Stefania Tomaskovic. But it seems like before Stefania, Tory wants to weigh in.
2: Yeah, I just had a comment about uh, this uh, banking scandal or crisis, whatever you want to call it. Uh, and, you know, this is another one here from the history department. This is how wealth gets concentrated in this country. And, uh, you know, it's just like the 1930s. Uh, in this case, the four big banks are going to take over the assets yes. of the uh, Silicon Valley Bank. And, uh, you know, money doesn't disappear. It just gets concentrated and consolidated. Right. And that's the process, rinse and repeat. You know. We did this on a huge scale during the Great Depression, and that's why Roosevelt had to, you know, ultimately instigate a 91% tax rate because all the wealth, all the farms, all the productive capacity that was lost by everybody in the Depression was concentrated into the hands of a very tiny elite, and we're doing it again.
0: Tory, the mathematical calculation, look, I'm an engineer. I only care about numbers. I don't care about all the other crap. Okay, the, the mathematical calculation of capitalism is a concentration of wealth. The formula says this, if the average American citizen doesn't have saving or if they grow at 2%, and if you're, you're the asset class that grows at 7%, if you look at a pie, even if that pie is expanding, eventually it covers it all, it takes it all. Anybody who wants to come on air with me and discuss these calculations, feel free to do so. The mathematical formula says it's it's not sustainable. And you know what we're living through? We're living through its unsustainability right now. And it's going to continue to get worse. Every time we have a crash, it's a correction. It's every crash is a correction, right? We, a few people lose a few bucks and then we get onto the path. But if you take a look at Richard Wolf's curves, right? And you see how Richard Wolf's curves, it, it's impossible for it to not land on it. face. So anyway, Stefania Tomaskovich, PhD is, serves on as the coalition director for the coalition for environment equity and resilience she believes that a strong resilient texas is possible one where every person can access safe affordable housing where every neighborhood has healthy air water and soil and where our economy is strengthened by meaningful work opportunities that support healthy livelihoods without doing harm to each other or the environment. Prior to joining SEER, Stefania worked with public citizens, I actually worked with them as well, a national nonprofit group dedicated to representing the people's voice in the halls of power. Stefania has also worked as a chaplain and a geologist. Man, you have done everything. Welcome to Politics Unright <laughs> Stefania, how are you doing today? I'm doing fantastic today. Well, look, we are ecstatic to have you here because we need folks of your caliber, act- in informing uh, Houston and beyond, and the fact of the matter is we don't have enough people doing what you do, and when we have more people doing what you do with the exposure that should be given, we'll have a better America. Talk to me.
1: Yeah, yeah, you know, I I think that's one of the reasons why I'm here is because I want to create a better America, and I know people are hungry for a better America. Yes. Yes, and so I'm I'm with the Coalition for Environment, Equity, and Resilience mm-hmm. called SEER, Right. And we formed after Hurricane Harvey. And during that time, Hurricane Harvey was just such a catastrophe for our region. I don't know anyone who doesn't know someone who was very...
0: Affected. ...harmed. Exactly, exactly.
1: But it's not only the fact that Harvey touched so many people across the region. It's the fact that Harvey... Brought to the surface the disparities that are already were already existing in, in the Houston area, but also widened them.
2: Wow. Yeah.
1: Right. So so people who were having a hard time already, there are still people who are recovering, mm-hmm. who haven't had their homes fixed. And and there have been studies showing talking about concentration of wealth, right? Mm-hmm. That even people who've been, uh, who who had flood insurance, that they, they were able to recover better. And, and actually, uh, certain communities were able to obtain more wealth mm-hmm. after Harvey than other communities, which have been just completely left behind. So that's one of the reasons why I do the work that I do, is because too many people are getting left behind. And with climate disasters becoming more frequent, in the, the Houston area. Mm-hmm. It's not just Harvey. It's not just tropical storms and hurricanes. We've been battling a number of winter storms and, and really wild weather that mm-hmm. is not normally what, what we have faced here mm-hmm. in Houston. Those, those kinds of storms are really creating situations where people who are already struggling are struggling even more, even more, even more. So that's why I'm here.
0: Well, you know, you you did, a uh, I think, a, a piece with, uh, the, you brought a PDF here, and I found the PDF so very instructing because it I, you, you actually show how, it, it, well, you talk, tell us a little bit about environmental justice, because a lot of people just look at environment as, oh, rain's coming more than before and all of that. But what you did is you went ahead and broke that down. You actually showed that, uh, you know, it, it's not just an environmental crisis, but it's a people's crisis and, and it, it affects people differently. Not only the environment, but even things like that you showed in the document with the cancer alleys and all that kind of stuff. So why don't you talk a little bit about that?
1: Yeah, yeah. let me tell you a little bit about environmental justice. Because when we talk about environmental justice, it can mean a lot of different things to a lot of different people. Right. But when you look at the history of the environmental justice movement, it really started in the early 1980s. And this is not to say that environmental injustice was not a thing before then, because, I mean, Dr. Martin Luther King was assassinated while he was in Memphis fighting for the rights of sanitation workers, which is definitely an environmental justice issue. But in the early 1980s, in North Carolina... A uh, rural black community found out that they were going to be the dumping grounds for pcb laden mm-hmm. sediment soil, and they fought back because they did not want to be a dumping ground right. like who who would right? right right and that was really the birth of what we know now as the environmental justice community, black and brown communities taking a stand against. This dumping that has been happening over and over and over again across the country, and in some places across you know across the world, really, and that that movement, even though the people in North Carolina and War North Carolina were not successful at fighting that, mm-hmm. it really spurred a, a movement that has worked to create justice for particularly black and brown communities, lower-income communities uh, across the country that have been just enduring struggle after struggle, including environmental pollution that harms people's health. I think that's something that, you know, you think about all the corporations that make profit off of this, while people who are already having difficulty, you know, just making... Making ends meet, are having to face cancer, having to face other health challenges that um, you know they don't have the resources for because they you know it's a systemic issue. Right. You know, like in Texas, we could have we could have Medicaid expansion and we don't. Oh. Right. So so. There's there's a number of different issues. It's not just about the pollution in the environment. It's all these different factors coming together. These interrelated factors about healthcare, about education, uh, about even historic things like redlining. Mm-hmm. Like why are certain communities located where they are, and why are they historically um, uh, having? dealt with this pollution issue for, for decades and decades, right? So there's there's these historic factors for, for why you know certain communities have become jumping grounds. And then there's the the just where things are right now, right? In that that um a lot of communities are under resourced, mm-hmm. have been disinvested and the government, local, state, federal all of them, all of them have often failed communities in, in getting things cleaned up, et cetera.
0: You know, when I saw your, you know, uh, when Tori uh, came and he said, you know, we got to get you in here, and I went ahead and looked at your bio, I, the first thing I looked and when I saw all the different pieces and things, I said, ah, she gets it. Because you, this is not, it's not a monolithical manner in which you have to handle this problem. Because I live in Kingwood, right? Um, you were just talking about Harvey. And when we had Harvey, uh, Kingwood was taken care of right away. Hell, the, uh, the mayor came to Kingwood with a whole bunch of folks screaming at him to move, uh, to move their garbage out faster than anywhere else. I mean, in a week's time, Kingwood was, uh, except for the homes that were flooded and it was a whole bunch of them, but the cleanup went really quick. And later on, I had a friend that came from Atlanta to help folks, and he had a public kitchen going around, um, going around Houston, and I went into neighborhoods that I had never been before that simply seemed to have been forgotten. And you, as well as I do, know what those neighborhoods looked like. It, were, it was the Latino and the black neighborhoods that were in, in Houston, which is a very multicultural, perfectly balanced city. And then we had the folks, many in Kingwood, complaining about we're not, you know, they're not taking good care of what's going on in, you know, in, in certain areas. And I was like, have you been to the rest of Houston? Do you know how bad of problems? So I, mm-hmm. it was great to see that you got it. You know, that some, that we have an organization that gets it.
1: Yeah, thank you for for that affirmation. You know, it's really, the way Houston is, mm-hmm. right? people can forget about certain neighborhoods, Mm -hmm. right? It's like there's highways that divide communities and, um, I remember when I first moved to Houston, I was given where the advice. Came, where do you come from? Um, I was coming from Dallas. Okay.
0: Oh. <laughs> okay. We are, you're forgiven. You're forgiven to me. <laughs> You're. Look at Tori. Tori's shaking his head.
1: <laughs>
0: I'm. I'm just missing. Everyone with you. in <laughs> Dallas
1: gave me a really hard time. So, but, are
0: you coming to Houston? Yeah. Okay. <laughs>
1: but I'm glad to be here. You know, Houston is. It has its challenges, but it's also yeah. a really wonderful place, right? And you know, I th- I think though. For a lot of people like when when I moved to Houston someone told me oh don't live don't live east of 45 mm-hmm. it's like what's what's east of 45 right right there's there's a lot of um,
0: black industry black community Latino community exactly. all that kind of stuff which means mm-hmm. they're not for some reason they don't get the services that you get even in a place like Montrose in the you know come on and and, and what's hurtful is that so many don't see it and and that's why I said when we have groups like your group uh, that are out there, we need to get you on air. We need to make sure that you can tell because you know what? most people are good folk. I'm oh, sorry, most yeah. people are nice. period punto y final, you know but if you don't know, you don't know. And that's, that's where right. uh, organization like yours come in.
1: That, that's right. What's the name of
0: it again? C E E R. What is it? C E E R. The Coalition for
1: Coalition. Environment, Equity, and Resilience.
0: C- I, I can't remember all. This. <laughs> that's why CEER is a lot easier to. Is that how you say it? CEER, Okay, CEER is a lot easier to say. Okay, tell me more. Tell me more.
1: Yeah. Um, you know, so so there people people can mm-hmm. not realize that in. Their own city that there are people left behind to the extent that right. they are right. I, I think most people um, who don't know like it's not
0: in their ra- it's not in their uh, rearview mirror or or in their windshield. You know neither one. Yes. So tell yes. me what uh, how do you interface with community your group?
1: We interface with community in a few different ways. Um, we have right now we have. Um, essentially four different campaigns Mm -hmm. that we're taking part in. One is um, in regards to flood equity, Mm -hmm. right? So back in 2018, when voters in Harris County passed the flood bond, SEER was working with the county to ensure equity because a lot of times what happens is money that's available for improving flood infrastructure Mm -hmm. goes to the wealthier communities, the the whiter communities, the communities that already have a very loud voice at the table Mm -hmm. and are making those demands. So SEER stepped in because there was a need to ensure that other communities were not getting left behind in the process. So SEER worked with Harris County in the development of um, what was called the Harris Thrives Resolution. Mm -hmm. And this was a resolution that brought in equity into the equation and actually used uh, um, the Social Vulnerability Index Mm -hmm. to help – decide on project um, prioritization.
0: I want you to explain Social Vulnerability Index because what happens is I have peak callers before and not not callers but people in my chat including right now and by the way welcome Bridge MCP, welcome Peggy Lopez, welcome Eric Hayes, Bruce Pollard as well as Chris Meka. Uh Thank you for being here in the comments. I'll read your comments in a little bit but thank you so kindly for being here online. Um, yeah, explain that because what happens is, I, uh, you know, a lot of folks are complaining. Like, well, how comes they changed the formula in the way the money was dispersed? Somehow we're not getting our fair share. This particular county precinct got more than the other.
1: hmm mm-hmm. Right, right, right. So it's it's a way of uh, the the prioritization framework is a way of addressing need, right, and and really putting worst first, mm-hmm. so that people who need support are getting the support that they need you know, when you look at some of the ways that funding can often be allocated, they Mm -hmm. use things like um, what's called benefit cost analysis, Mm -hmm. where what they're doing is looking at a few different factors, but one of those factors is like property values.
0: Oh God. Right. I I was just going to talk about that. I finished up because I had something to say there. Go
2: ahead.
1: Yeah. Yeah. So they're looking at property values in terms of determining whether someone is worth protecting. And that is just really unfair in terms of who it leaves behind. Um, so that that's how a lot of projects get approved in wealthier communities, and this way of using the social vulnerability index is really prioritizing people who who have fewer resources to recover, so that when the next Harvey strikes or any you know similar kind of flooding disaster that they will already be in queue or, or, or maybe even have the projects completed so that they're not suffering the greatest impacts. Because, like I said, people are still recovering mm-hmm. from Harvey. If you aren't aware of that, it's, it's true. Oh,
0: and it's amazing yeah. how many don't really know. But Stephanie, when you brought up the property values, this is the part that got me crazy because I had friends that you know live in these big homes and they, you know, they got six inches of water or something and there was some part of the law that allowed them to take huge tax breaks on the, uh, and, and also got a bigger funding for that house. And then I said, well, you know, somebody in Tinbok to Houston who has a $50,000 home wooden home and they got flooded, it's their home, it's their lodging, it's where they stay. Just like that person who lives in that $500,000 home, that's where they live, that's where they stay. You're saying that because, or the way a lot of these formulas work, because you live in this expensive house, the cost-benefit analysis is like, oh, let's save these things because it, you know the, the house costs more. Costs more to whom? You know I mean, they call homes a capital investment, right? Mm-hmm. You decided to invest in your capital that's worth a whole lot of money. well, you take the risk just like everybody else, and you know a home is a home it's a home right
1: yeah, right, right, right no one's home should should have to go through that and and uh, people shouldn't have to fight so hard to to get recovered yeah and you know another thing that can often happen too is the way that titles are passed down mm-hmm. um in in white communities it's often very clear who is the title holder for mm-hmm. a home, where in, in particularly like the black community, it can be a lot more complicated to determine airship and who, who actually owns the home. Mm-hmm. And so in terms of like FEMA coming in and, um, you know, uh, providing funding for mm-hmm. repairs, they need the homeowner to sign off on that. Right. And so there actually has to be work done to to Find determine who who, right. who, who actually is the title holder and and so those are things that either slow down or completely halt the process and and um you know there's just these systemic barriers that don't take into consideration how how things are passed along in different families right so there's there's these challenges that happen along the way that you know are rooted in just kind of the the it's systemic it's the history
0: of the country yes Mm -hmm. we've had redlining yes we've had racism yes we've had all these things what is there not to understand that, again, like I said, it's great that we have the seers of the world being able to help navigate those kinds of things, because most people just throw their hands up in the air and say, well, you know, we, there's nothing we can do. And they they steadily fall behind and behind and behind. And societally, they can never, ever recover and become that, you know, what what they possibly and should, could
1: be. Right. And then throw a global pandemic on top oh, of that. talk to me. A winter storm. Talk to me. Another winter storm. Yes. You know. Yes. Yeah, yes. Yeah. Yeah. I can't tell you how many people I've heard about whose whose pipes froze mm-hmm. and you know out of power for for a week. Right. For
0: Stefania, you're you're oh, you're not completely in the. Yeah. There we go. You know, we, people people are listening to you. They don't just want to. <laughs> yeah. Anyhow, but yeah. So as it turns out, so wait Tori, Tori, did you have something to say or? Oh okay, great. I, I thought it was otherwise. Any anyhow. Oh he's getting
1: there we go. Is that
0: better? <laughs> <laughs> and mine he wants my mic fixed a little better. This is live TV. I mean live Oh, can I talk now? Okay, I'll hold it. This is this is live and our engineer wants to make sure that we have things well covered here and I want to make sure woo, that we get we, we get the cameras. Right? So, bear with me a second, folks, as we get all done. And you there know, There we go. There we go. We did it. We did it. We did it. <laughs> but anyway, Stefania, let me jump and do something real quick. Sure. Let me go to, because somebody has been hanging on the phone, and he may change the subject a bit, but we'll jump right back onto yeah. this, okay? But come on in, Mark. How are you doing, sir? Okay, Mark, you're still there. Let's see if we're going to get you on air. Okay, uh... Let's see. He may be. He may have gone. Taken a break after we've kept him on hold for so long. Mike, that is. Or not, Mike. Mark, that's Mark, who was willing to hold. You're still on hold. We'll continue holding and then continue the discussion afterwards. Now, let me ask you this. We've been talking about. uh, We talk a lot about global warming and and let's talk about how do you think first it affects us locally because you you talk a lot about helping people in Houston. How would that affect us locally?
1: Yeah. You know, one of the challenges Mm -hmm. of, um, I think the climate movement is it initially for, well, for a lot of people, for a lot of people, when they think about climate change, they think about ice sheets, they think about Mm -hmm. polar bears, right? They're not thinking about Houston. Right. And, um, Our climate justice organizer was out talking with community members about climate change one day, and she told me this story. This one woman she talked to said, climate change, I don't know anything about climate change, but what I know is that people in my community are dying. Oh, wait, who told you that? This was a community member in Northeast Houston. Really? Yes. Okay. Yes. And, you know, for... A lot of us, we're not necessarily thinking about climate change in Houston and, and the impacts, but there's these daily impacts that we face from it. We've had some of the hottest weather on record. Yeah, February, I think, was one of the hottest months yes. on record. And I am just really becoming aware that the first half of my life is significantly cooler than the second half. Mm-hmm. And that has big impact in Houston. Because heat stress is real. Heat stress is real. It impacts people's health. Not everyone can afford electricity to pay for air conditioning, Mm -hmm. right? And when you have more and more days over 90 degrees, over 95, over 100 degrees, that's going to have a real impact on people's pocketbooks and on their health,
0: and you know, the health thing is so real because even, even now my trees. Oh, by the way, I, I have a little funny thing here. You said you realized that the first half of your life uh, was cooler than the second half of your life. As you get older, my friend, you're going to realize that more and more and more. And I'm not talking temperature here. We were all cool when we were young and then we get older. That, that's all. <laughs> I, I was trying to make, make a corny joke. Anyway, uh, but as it turns out, um, you know, I've never had the kind of problems with pollen and all these things in the air in February, which means we have a longer seasons that we're going to have all these types of nasal problems and all of that that we're not used to. And that also means, you spoke about cost, etc. That also means higher costs for medical care, higher costs for drugs, higher costs for just about everything.
1: That's right. That's right. So... That is one of the ways that climate is impacting us locally, is just these kind of daily stressors, allergies from pollen, heat. And these things take a toll on mm-hmm. our money, on our health. And, um, you know, I, I feel like that's a thing that people miss a lot when we talk about climate change. Of course, then there's the big things, right? Like the Harveys and the the, the winter storms, this weird weather that, um, you know, the the... Hurricane systems in the Gulf forming really rapid storms, mm-hmm. really intensifying quickly. Like that makes it a lot harder to predict what's going to happen in the Gulf when, when hurricane season mm-hmm. is is in full force right so that makes it challenging it's a lot easier to prepare for a storm even if you have like a week's notice but right. when something forms in the Gulf and and becomes a tropical storm and in, in a day like what was that a tropical storm mm-hmm. in yeah, in 2019 we
0: never knew it was coming almost I mean we knew it was gonna be a light thing but it just kind of exploded you yeah. know but uh, you know we have um hello Alistair Waters how are you doing Lee Grant welcome All all the crew is here. Uh, Bruce wants to know for you, Mm -hmm. have the results of of the Climate Ambassadors Survey been published? I don't know if you know about that. Or
1: Yeah, I can tell a little bit about the Climate Ambassadors. Okay. So SEER has a Climate Ambassador Program. We work with about 14 community leaders in Northeast Houston. Mm -hmm. And um, a while ago, I think it was 2020... It was before and during the early phases of the pandemic. Um, Sears organizers worked with people in, in Northeast Houston to develop this program. And then the ambassadors actually did a survey mm-hmm. of uh, community members to really help us figure out how we were going to approach these issues mm-hmm. and what issues we wanted to focus on. And so with that, what we found people really cared about was having health Healthy, safe housing, mm-hmm. right? And that has led us into developing, um, not just policy solutions for weatherization for people's homes so that in, in hot conditions, but also in, in cold oh, conditions yeah. like, like what happened in 2021, uh, people can, can remain in their homes and stay, stay,
0: Fairly comfortable.
1: Fairly comfortable. Right. Exactly. Right. There's there's ways to, to do that mm-hmm. through weatherization. And so we want to expand the policy so that it covers more people and people can get their homes. So let me see if I understand
0: mm-hmm. you correctly. Are you saying you your the ambassadors come to you with the the, 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 the solutions that they think for their particular communities, is that correct?
1: Yeah, so so that was the purpose of mm-hmm. that questionnaire was for the ambassadors to work with their community and and determine what what were the solutions that we right. should focus on?
0: And when it comes to the weatherization, do you all provide, how, how does that work? Do you all provide like contracting or help in finding contractors? You get subsidies from the, the federal government or how does it work?
1: We don't do that kind of work. Mm-hmm. Um, right now there are, there are programs. Uh, there's a program through Baker Ripley where people mm-hmm. can sign up and, and participate. Uh, um, sometimes the wait list can be really long. You know, just just to put it out there, and so we are currently working with them and, and other partners, including the Houston Advanced Research Center, on a pilot program. And uh, our ambassadors and and um, uh, some of our ambassadors are going to be essentially working as community navigators to help people apply for the program and and kind of case manage, right? Mm-hmm. So that people can uh, can have support going through the program, so that it's not just a filling out a form and you know, not not hearing back for right. a long time, and it, so it's a way to to kind of maintain a relationship and, and answer questions and help people with the process. But the design of that is actually going to be done working with community through uh, different um, uh, engagement opportunities, like mm-hmm. focus groups and things like that. So we're actually going to be co-designing this process. So you go into different neighborhoods
0: and try to hold town halls and that sort of thing. Or?
1: I'm not sure exactly what it's gonna look like, mm-hmm. to be honest, we're we're just in that You're phase of, of yeah. exactly, exactly. but but we do want it to be co-designed with with our community members.
0: That is great. Um, uh, Eric, you said that I wasn't truthful on something. Uh, please give us a call seven one three five two six five seven three eight. You know if you think that I am not truthful, I would want to make sure that I am corrected for my audience because again, we don't want, politics don't write, ain't, ain't ABC, CBS, NBC MSNBCs, and those that will mislead you. So if you think I said something incorrectly, please give us a call at 713-526-5738. Bruce says, did this survey support the new solar farm being constructed to help provide energy when needed?
1: So the solar farm that's being constructed right now is in the Sunnyside community and that, that is not something Steer has been involved with. Mm-hmm. But um, I know there's been a lot of conversations in Sunnyside about that project. So we haven't been specifically involved in that, and and the survey didn't cover that mm-hmm. part of um, Houston. We we've been focusing in Northeast Houston.
0: Yeah, one of our, our listeners also, our yeah listeners also want to tell you, hey, I'm in Myrtle Beach. To, wait, let's see what she says. It better to tell her uh, Myrtle Beach resident shocked by mass of pollen. So maybe if, if people all over the country, we we get callers from all over the country so i mean maybe if all the um all these places throughout the country start to see this maybe maybe they'll start voting in people that will really take climate change and all this stuff uh seriously i have people some in the chat that's like uh gas is more efficient than solar get right uh, just give me my gas you know it's so like short-sightedness you know what how do you talk to somebody like that what would you tell them i, I know what i say what would you tell them
1: So I like to start with what I know Mm -hmm. and what what the facts are. Mm -hmm. And so there's, I just think back to 2021 and how natural gas failed the state of Texas.
0: Oh, you know, I'm, I mean, you're so smart. I'm so glad you brought that up because it's funny because they had to lie immediately when the failure started. They said the turbines went down, the cold weather got them and it turned out that it was frozen gas uh, equipment that caused our crash our right. electric grid crash.
1: Yeah, yeah, and when you look at the data, renewables actually
0: saved us.
1: Saved us yes. and and uh, overperformed relative to what, what yes. they thought the renewables would do. So so right, it, there was a lot of misinformation that was coming out from the, the from the government from from, the government. Uh, from
0: Austin they were lying and what's interesting is that even as they lie uh, we are one of the states that have the largest wind farms out there. We are one of the states that are doing a lot, very a lot of work in renewables. And to have a government after you have the, not only the private sector but some of the federal sector doing so much in, in, in green energy, and to have our local or state government lie to the people. I know you're probably do you talk? I know you don't talk political so much, but I mean, um. It's it's shameful that that actually occurs, don't you think? I'm just talking about not political, just a truthful thing.
1: I agree. It's shameful that that something like that happened, Mm -hmm. um, that people were not told the truth about what happened, and that in Austin, there's a continual push for fossil fuels that are exacerbating the problems that we're having here.
0: And you know what is so sad about that? Um, and as much as we are energy producing state and that we have a lot of oil wells and so forth, the, the funny thing about it is if we were just to double up on renewables, the cost back for renewables in the long run is so much greater because we don't have to dig deep holes. We don't have to pressurize holes to put waste in all of that. We don't have to frack. We don't have to do all those things if we just invested where you get the biggest bang for the buck.
1: Right. And I think the costs have really come down.
0: Mm-hmm.
1: So this is... A great time to be investing in renewable energy.
0: You know, I tell folks, you know, I look. Let's let's fly over Houston, right? I'm looking at a vast power station unused. Every single roof Mm -hmm. is a power station unused, and that, you know, um, I I tried to get uh, some cells on my home once, and realized that the economic system under which puts these cells out is pretty for all practical purposes is fraudulent they come out and they tell you uh i know what by the way i know what the sale costs i know all of that and it's i I got two different quotes same amount of stuff with a difference in price of over thirty thousand dollars
2: wow wow
0: does that tell you who you know it's not i mean it's like they want to capitalize on everything as opposed to saying Good energy. This is one of the places where I think we need to have uh, the government step in and say, we are going to just throw cells on every roof, you know, everybody's roof. We increase taxes here. I mean, just think about what that would look like. Mm -hmm, mm -hmm. You know,
1: one of the things I'm excited about right now Mm -hmm. is, um, you know, last year, uh, federal government passed the inflation reduction act Yes. and there's, you know, there's not, it's, it's not perfect in a lot of ways. It, it, could invest a lot more money into addressing climate change, and there's some really great opportunities there too, including the greenhouse gas mm-hmm. emissions reductions uh, programs that right. the EPA is currently developing. So I, I would love to see what comes out of it and what what that looks like, and how that might impact distributed solar or community micro grids or, or other oh, ways. Well, oh, I
0: <laughs> love that concept of the, the the community, the microgrids and this mm-hmm. you know s- distributed solar. Panels. You know, I'm in mean solar. You know what I'm talking about. But anyhow, um, I'd see that guy is, is there. I want to go to him. And otherwise, I want to tell folks 713-526-5738. 713-526-5738. I know you guys are enjoying the conversation with Stefania here because she, you know, very eloquent and keeping us informed. But if you have anything you'd like to ask her, 713-526-5738. Mark, are you there or you're not there anymore? If if if, uh, our, if he's not going to be there, we can go ahead and hang up the phone if he doesn't come on in a little bit. There we go. Yeah, sorry about having you wait that long more. Yeah, but yes, um, 713-526-5738. Now, in your, in your um, PDF that I saw there, you were talking about the parts of Houston where things are really... It, it, it kind of shows you that if you look at the demographics of certain areas that you actually see... There are certain kind of industries there. There are certain kind of illnesses there. There Tell us a little bit about that.
1: Yeah, yeah. Uh, There's a group here in Houston called the One Breath Partnership Mm -hmm. that did a really good report called the Houston Arrow. I recommend people go and check that out because one of the things that um, that report did is it really highlighted the varying inequities across Houston Mm -hmm. in a geographic way. So you can look at a map and see, okay, in this map... This area has, you know, the most education. These areas have the least amount of education. Mm -hmm. You can go through for all these different uh, parameters, parameters, exactly, and you see that the map pretty much stays the same, Mm -hmm. right? And one of the things I was really shocked to learn several years ago was that in Harris County, there is a... 23-year difference in life expectancy depending on what zip code you live in.
0: You have got to be kidding me.
1: I am not kidding you. 23 years. Really? Yes. So your zip code has a huge influence on your health in Harris County. And I don't believe that anyone should have to live with a reduced lifespan because, because of, of, where of where they live. live,
0: and some people they have no choice exactly uh, you know you know and people people get upset when you you, you talk about having to mitigate these things, right? Mm-hmm. Why are you giving them that are is, is, is well, I mean you know, how did they get there in the first place? Yeah, you know how did they get there in the p- first place? I mean, um, a lot of people get upset when I speak certain way about. What corporations do and how the result the, how government results in getting them to do, it. but if we take a look at what you're saying here, you know we have the concentration of certain types of plants in certain areas, we have the concentration of uh, certain types of medical uh, things in certain areas, but here's a real kicker, right? I remember when I had my kid, and I decided you know I was living in uh in in the a leaf area et cetera, et cetera. And when it was time for my daughter to start school, I went ahead and did a map as well and I mapped out where all the best schools were and at that time uh, it was Katie and Kingwood those were the two uh, two and that's where we bought a house right mm-hmm. and Then you realize afterwards that um the way our system works right it's like the 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 because the prices of homes. In certain areas are more expensive. Those schools get a bigger piece of the pie, mm-hmm. uh, as opposed. It's called public education, right? When you drive on a road in in, in whatever part of Houston, right, you didn't figure out if your taxes paid for that piece of the road or the other piece of the road. But when it comes to education, if you live in a good zip code, and it's com- and this is comparable to compare compared to what you just said about life expectancy, mm-hmm. when you live in a good uh, a good zip code, you know you're going to have a good school. You live in another zip code, you know you're going to have a school that has leaks and all these things. And it's all the same public education.
1: Right, right, right. And not every school even has school nurses. Right. Right, right. And uh, there's a number of schools that are under-resourced that I believe deserve to have education you know all access, of that is a part right? of your
0: just the justice yes. the, the even environmental justice if you exactly. want to be uh, and you you had four pieces to that environmental justice that I wrote down i think it was race it was uh, there was something
1: Yeah so so you know um the way that i see environmental justice is is this recognition between everything being connected these issues that we're talking about right. education healthcare uh, they're not Okay. Unrelated, these I are think, connected issues. and I
0: think people have to understand what that specifically. A lot of folks want to take these things in chunks. Mm-hmm. but as you pointed out, they are all interrelated. They don't stand alone or apart.
1: Yes, that's right. that's right. It's um, people who lack affordable housing options mm-hmm. will often, find themselves in situations where they have to live next to a plant because that's that's the house that's available to them or you know or because of where they live plants have come in right because they can
0: do it there but they couldn't do it not in my backyard what is it right NIMBY, not in my backyard Not in my backyard you know i hear
1: a lot of people say well could they could they build this concrete batch plant in river oaks thank you right no yeah
0: yeah And you know, and 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 people look at it as well. You know, there's there's that as if that doesn't exist, and and people want you to stay quiet about it, or if you raise hell about it, they want to call you a radical or the big S and all these kind of things. And we're saying no, we just want to have an equitable society. I don't think it's we're not asking for everybody to be equal uh, if they don't work towards uh, where they want to go, but we want an equitable society. Everybody have equal access to success or equal access to failure, right?
1: I believe everyone should have access to clean air, clean water, and opportunities. Right? So, yes, yes, I, I think that's mm-hmm. that's you know, like that. That everyone should just it should be a baseline right for people to have the access to those things.
0: I want to show you the mentality of some uh, some right because whenever you point out that you know whenever you you pointed out this twenty three year difference in zip code and the first thing you know like this is not a bad guy who said it but the first thing that that this guy came up with was he's a good guy i know him and he says i wonder how much of the reduced lifespan as to the uh, is due to crime and homicide yeah. you know and uh, you know and and whether that's i, I imagine that a, let, let me answer that first and then i'm gonna ask you to come in look Part of that is going to be crime and homicide because we know that crime and homicide is more prevalent uh, based on socioeconomics. Irrespective of race, based on socioeconomics, there's a higher degree of homicide and all these sort of things. So that's one issue. But then you have to ask the genesis of the homicides and the genesis of why those things occur. And it goes right back into what Stefania says. All these externalities, lower education, and you can take it up from dear my dear.
1: Sure. You know... Um when I worked as a champ, chaplain, I mm-hmm. worked with cancer patients mm-hmm. and I saw people of all all ages, all races, all faiths, you mm-hmm. know, and and while this is not any really comprehensive data analysis, there were some things that I've really picked up in terms of, you know, un, from people's stories about their life experiences mm-hmm. about um what things in their environment had impacted them you know whether they were living across from a refinery right. or or some other kind of industrial facility and so that definitely has shaped my perspective mm-hmm. on uh, how i see these these kinds of differences in lifespan mm-hmm. i am not an expert on homicide or crime rates
2: mm-hmm.
1: i think you're right in that You know, there, there are, everything is connected, right? Mm -hmm. Like, like I was just saying, these, these things are not separate. And what needs to happen is investment in communities where there may be higher crime rates, where there may be higher rates of homicide and not just investing in police, but really investing in a holistic way to invest in, in, in communities well being to support them, mm-hmm. to, to help with education, ensuring, ensuring clean water,
0: mm-hmm.
1: ensuring there's no lead in the schools. Because right? that
0: also attributes to criminality because of lead and, and what it does to the mind.
1: Right, right. These environmental factors mm-hmm. impact the body. They impact the brain. It's not isolated. Right. These, these things all come together. So, so I would advocate for just greater investment in, in communities.
0: You know, it is it is so important, and it, and it, thank you, sir. It's uh, you, did you want to say something? Uh, oh, okay. Uh, it it is it is sad that um, a lot of times that is what people look at. But if we if we for a change, if we for a change decided to do those kinds of investments, and I tell you what, I think would bring that. I have a phrase on my program that says, "Whenever we unite the barrios, the ghettos." An Appalachia, then we will get, we will win. We'll get the results that we've got, and this is what I mean by that. And it's a stereotype. It's a stereotype the way I say it, but the idea is what Houstonians and many Americans don't see is they don't see the life. What uh, what a lot of white people look like in Appalachia, which doesn't look any different than black folks in the ghettos and, 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 and others in the ghettos, etc., that we are used to seeing here in, in, in these cities. My daughter, uh, while she was at um, studying uh, at med school, she uh, took this job one summer, and she went through Appalachia, and she called, I remember when she called me, shocked. She said, I'd never seen people living in these conditions. She was doing a, her doctor thing inside of uh, uh, parts of Ohio, parts of uh, PA, etc. And then I said to her, you know, uh, I, I, that is what, whenever people see degeneracy or whenever people see poverty or whenever we see all of that on TV, it looks like me, right? It looks like my Latino brothers and sisters, right? But it doesn't look like my white brothers and sisters and why? is all of it it, you you wonder what is the mechanism that prevents that and that is if those three folks realize their commonality and what needs to get done things that you are trying to put out there Mm -hmm. imagine the changes that would occur because suddenly those people that think it's just the others that live that way would say that can also happen to me your thoughts
1: yeah i think there is way more that unites us than divides us exactly and we should be working
2: together.
0: Absolutely. Yeah. Absolutely. All right, folks, let's go to Johnny. Come on in, Johnny.
2: Hey, folks, uh, I've got a two-part question. Part of it, the first part is technical. Mm-hmm. And the second part is political. The technical, given all that scientists currently know in terms of measuring the ability to measure and track wind currents and being able to know the, where the particulate is, breakdown for plastics is out in the ocean. Is there any current uh, technology being devised right now where maybe a group of high school volunteers across the country can be equipped with equipment to capture these airborne particles to keep them from being breathed into the lungs of humans and animals in America and other countries? And then the political question is, I think it's ironic that we see in Jacksonville, uh, Mississippi, or wherever, these poison drinking water uh, things occur, and they bring in these emergency crates of plastic bottled <laughs> water, which is part of the problem, How come we don't do what the Soviet Union once did? Why don't we return to bottling, glass bottles that we recycle? You buy your Coke, your Pepsi, your water, you take it home, you drink it, you save the bottle, you bring it back to you, uh, you bring it back to the store or to a vending kiosk in the neighborhood, and you get a deposit back for it or a credit towards the purchase of the next bottled uh, beverage. How come we're not, I hear nothing in corporate media, about us wanting to do away with bottled uh, liquids and going to glass. What's going on here?
1: That's a couple of really good questions. So your first question is about technology. And I know of um, a lot of efforts right now looking to monitor air pollution and, and particulates in particular. Uh, including um, there is uh, uh, a lot of community air monitoring programs that are being developed even here locally in Houston. I know a number of groups, including um, a group in Pleasantville. Um, I know there's a group in Fort Bend and Fifth Ward. Uh, so there's, there's several different groups that are purchasing low-cost air monitors to be able to better understand how pollution is impacting their communities. In terms of actually trapping those particulates, I'm not aware of technology that is deployable right now that can do that. Uh, it doesn't mean it's not out there, but I, I'm not aware of that. In terms of your second question, I think it's really—I I mean, even as a child, like plastic drinking bottles, of, you know, of soda or, or water—that—that that came about when I was like in high school or mm-hmm. something, right? Like, this isn't something that's been around forever. And, you know, just walking down the bayou, you can see... Just floating. Everything, all the plastic litter, all the plastic debris, and where does that end up? I mean, oh. it, it it gets ingested by animals, it ends up in the ocean, it, it ends up polluting, you know, just everywhere, right? So it is a huge problem. And I think there's been some efforts to do what you're talking about at this state. I know there's been organizations that have been advocating for... Um, um, deposit programs and they have not been successful mm-hmm. in that yet right? and I think that just speaks to the large amount of influence that um, uh, corporations word, have had, have had in the hey, state Johnny, legislature
0: I only have one minute left to to tell uh, Stefania and to thank Stefania so thank you so much for the call Johnny, remember I'm going to go here Wednesday again Thank you, brother. Appreciate you. All right. uh, Dr. Stefania Tomaskovic, thank you so kindly. Whoops. Whoops. We are on the beep and it's on. All right. There we go. Dr. Stefania Tomaskovic, thank you so kindly. She's the director of Coalition for Environment, Equity and Resilience. Thank you so kindly for having been here with us on Politics Done Right. Such a pleasure. And please remember... This is your place, anytime you have something to say, just come on out, okay? Anyway folks, my name is Egberto Woolies. Remember, it's a bailout! (laughs) This is Politics Done Right. I'm out!